0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Unbanned Coolies. I have the distinct honor of hosting a remarkable individual whose unwavering dedication to intellectual freedom has left an indelible mark on the world of education. She is a high school librarian hailing from Annadel New Jersey. She's not just any librarian. She's a beacon of courage and resilience in the face of adversity. Her journey has been defined by her unyielding commitment to safeguarding the right to read especially when that right came under threat in her own high school library. In recognition of her advocacy, she was awarded the Intellectual Freedom Award by the American Association of School Librarians. In 2022, she was the recipient of the Outstanding Librarian Award from the National Coalition Against Censorship. These accolades speak volumes about her dedication and the profound impact she has on her community. Today, I have the privilege of delving into her experiences, insights, and the lessons she's learned from her mission to protect the freedom to read. Please welcome to Unvanquished Coolie's Martha Hickson.
1: <laughs> I think somewhere, wow, that introduction. Gee, can I get it for my tombstone? But not too soon.
0: <laughs> I'm truly honored to spend time with you. I'd like to start by sharing a book called Dragon Wings by Lawrence Yep. The character of Moonshadow, a young Chinese American boy, experiences a profound connection to his Chinese heritage through his father, Windrider. The story beautifully portrays the father and son relationship. The connection to his culture made me proud of my own
1: Asian heritage. Martha, is there a book that has a similar connection to you as a kid? Yeah, when when I think back on the books I read as a kid, and I read a lot as a kid, as you might imagine you know, me being a librarian at all. But the one that uh, sticks out the most uh, is Harriet the Spy by Louise Fitzhugh. Uh, And I read it over and over and over again. I used to pretend to be Harriet the Spy, uh, play outside as Harriet the Spy. And I think what um, got to me about that book is I'm the oldest of five children. The other four are all boys. So... And maybe it was true when you were a kid, too. Um, You know, being the only girl among all those boys, I wasn't really included in their activities. So I had to uh, find things to do on my own. And I'm quite content with that. And that's pretty much the way Harriet was in that book, too. She was also really smart, very funny. um, And she was really independent, uh, bebopping around New York City by herself. And I think I admired those qualities. And eventually... Uh, came to embody some of them. So I could really see myself or see the kind of person I wanted to be in Harriet. It's important
0: to note that Dragon Wings have won many awards, including the Newbery. Dragon Wings have recently faced bans and challenges, which brings me to ask you about banned books. Martha, you went through a challenging experience when a small group attempted to ban books related to the LGBTQ community from your library. Can you
1: share more about your how you initially reacted to the situation? I certainly will. And I would like to mention regarding Harriet the spy uh, that has uh, received its own challenges uh, specifically because Harriet doesn't behave like a traditional girl, the sort of uh, uh, doesn't observe uh, traditional gender stereotypes. In the situation that I faced, uh, the most recent one, (laughs) in September of 2021, there were five books in my high school library that were challenged, all with LGBTQ plus themes. Um, And when this landed on my doorstep, uh, my reaction was one of shock. I was watching it happen uh, live at the board meeting, uh, I was watching live stream from home, because my principal had given me a heads up earlier in the day that he thought there might be a complaint about a book at the board meeting, and he thought uh, the one book was going to be gender queer. Uh, as it actually played out, yes, gender queer was objected to at that board meeting, along with the book Lawn Boy by Jonathan Emerson. In addition, this happened on September 28th, 2021, that happened to be Banned Books Week. Uh, The protesters complained about Banned Books Week uh, during Banned Books Week, and then they also uh, complained about me for making these books available, and they labeled me by name at a board meeting. This has since been viewed more than 5,000 times, a pornographer, pedophile, and groomer of children. And as I sat there at home, watching these words come to be associated with my name, the reaction was outright shock, which was quickly followed by some intense emotion, um, tears. I had physical reactions. My heart was beating out of my chest. My stomach was churning. Um But even with all of that turmoil, physical, mental, emotional turmoil going on, I knew that I had to take steps immediately. So even as that board meeting was continuing, I had my cell phone, just as I do now, and I started reaching out for help uh, to the ALA, American Library Association, Office for Intellectual Freedom, the National Coalition Against Censorship, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, Uh, Everylibrary.org, which is a political action committee for libraries. My union president, I'm fortunate to uh, work in a state where teachers can belong to a union. Um, My colleagues uh, throughout New Jersey, uh, through the New Jersey Association of School Librarians. And then to a group of community members that I had uh, helped form two years prior. When there was an earlier censorship attempt in my library. And that's a group that calls itself the North Hundred and Voorhees. That's the name of my school district. Intellectual Freedom Fighters. So even as I was going through it, I was like, okay, I can't wallow in this. I gotta I gotta make a plan and I started planning that night. As I was scouring the internet trying
0: to learn as much as I could about you, I found a wonderful profound article on CNN that helped me understand the enormous stress and difficulties you've endured during that trying period and the weight of the burden you carried and the emotional toll you must have taken. And for our audience, I'll put the link to the CNN article in the description. I've read that you received hate mail and there was vandalism in your library. How did you cope with the emotional toll of these incidents?
1: Well, when it first started, you know, that night on September 28th, I knew I had to go back to work the next day. And, um, i'm what you call maybe like a type a worker b personality i just keep my nose to the grindstone and get the work done so initially that was my approach just put on the blinders and just focused on my work getting the work done but it turned out that almost every day there was some new bombshell landing in my lap in the form of hate mail as you indicated um vandalism in the library antagonism from my administration who were not supportive during all of this. And it was day after day after day. And I no longer felt like my workplace was a safe space for me. You know, I work hard to make that library safe, safe and welcoming space for the kids. Uh, and I'm proud that it is, but it no longer felt safe and welcoming to me. And after about a month of this, there came a day um when I would say my resilience, my resources were thin. And I had what I now understand was a stress-induced breakdown at work. Um, My husband had to come and pick me up. He took me to my primary care doctor who recognized immediately that something was amiss. Um, And she put me on medication to help me with anxiety. She referred me to a therapist to help me process all of this. And she took me out of work for several weeks to remove me from the stimulus. Uh, and eventually, with that, those interventions, I was able to uh, get back in the game. <laughs> wow, that, that's insane. I agree.
0: <laughs> yeah. What steps did you take to advocate for the right to read and protect these banned books?
1: Well, the first steps I took. Uh, occurred you know decades before some at least one of these books remember we're talking about 2021 at least one of these books had been on the shelves in the library since 2006 so uh the steps I took occurred long before the challenges and the first one was um following the proper procedures for procuring the library books you know library books I don't just go on a shopping spree nor does any librarian we have um collection development policies And we have um, selection policies and guidelines that we have to follow. So when these complaints came up, I wasn't really too, I didn't take them too seriously and didn't worry too long and hard about whether the books were going to be removed because I knew that I had acquired them through uh, the appropriate means methods and they that they met the selection guidelines for our library. So that's the first step. And the other, the other important precursor is that I am a graduate of an ALA approved uh, library school with a master's degree in library and information science. And part of our training is about, Um, the First Amendment and the right to read. So I had those things as a solid foundation. In the moment, though, as I indicated, and part of my training and experience is when this happens, you need to report it. So that is why immediately I reported these challenges to the ALA and the National Coalition Against Censorship, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, and so on. Uh, Once I had taken care of that, then I started looking ahead to what are the next steps going to be. And typically in a situation like this, the next step is... The school district will form a reconsideration committee that is tasked with actually reading the books and making a recommendation to the board about whether the book should stay or go well i didn't want that reconsideration committee just kind of going in blind so i began compiling background documents that i call resumes for each of the books and those resumes included the very same book reviews that i read when I made the decision uh, to purchase these books, plus others, so they had the book reviews, the professional book reviews to show them what was what, uh, a list of the awards that these these books had won, and, and they had won some tremendous awards, uh, the best of lists that they appeared on, uh, some of the references from selection guides, like um, EBSCO's core collection, Uh, and any previous challenges and the outcomes uh, for them. So they had this nice little resume for each book. Uh, I also, while all this was going on, was keeping an eye on what's happening out in the world, Uh, specifically other places where these books were being challenged. The strange thing is Um, these challenges in September of 2021 were very early in this current national wave of censorship. We were among the first schools to experience this. And as soon as the shock wore off, I started looking into, gosh, genderqueer and Lawn Boy, that's a really odd pair of books to object to. And I quickly discovered that in the two weeks prior to our challenges, the same pair of books had been objected to in Texas and Virginia using the same talking points. So I recognized immediately that this was not an organic challenge, shall we say, you know, originating out of a sincere concern, but it seemed to be something more coordinated. And one of those communities where the challenges uh, took place very shortly before mine was Fairfax, Virginia. And I think it was around mid-November, they resolved their reconsideration uh, and in favor of retaining both books. So I looked up their reconsideration report. It was online. And I made sure to provide that to our administrators as well. Because there's one thing I know about school administrators that you might not know, Christopher. They hate taking risks. They hate to be the first to do something. So I knew if my administration, my decision makers could see that another school district in a very similar demographic area to ours had said, yeah, these books are fine. It would give them the courage to do the same thing. Also, while I was doing all this, I was organizing uh, the community. And by that, I mean reaching out to students uh, in my building and in the other school in our school district, the other high school. Uh, As I mentioned, reaching out to my union who helped get staff members to support me, reaching out to parents whom I knew and community members whom I knew so that we could all get together to fight back, which we did. So that by the time of the October board meeting, there was a huge crowd of people there somewhere on the order of 400 who were there to support the books versus roughly 30 people who were on the book banning boat. Um, and the important thing is we kept showing up month after month after month until this was finally resolved in January of 22.
0: You emphasized the importance of reporting challenges the books yep. and seeking support from various organizations and individuals. Could you elaborate on how the collective effort can make a difference in defending intellectual freedom?
1: Sure. Um, I really want to stress, um, especially for, um, your viewers and listeners who, some of whom I imagine are in your same stage of life, the criticality of involving, um, students, uh, they were just tremendous in this effort, but, um, the reporting piece of it is so essential because if you are operating in isolation, uh, it's hard to get that help. And the the established organizations that I mentioned, like ALA and National Coalition Against Censorship, PEN America is terrific as well. They have vast experience with this. Hopefully, for most librarians, this is a once-in-a-lifetime drama. Um, but these organizations have vast experience, and when you report to them, it helps them um, identify titles, authors, uh, reader populations who are at risk. As in this current wave, um, the titles tend to focus on LGBTQ plus and BIPOC themes. Without that consistent reporting from all of us on the front lines, these organizations wouldn't be aware of that pattern. And speaking of patterns, you're reporting also helps reveal the fact that this activity is organized just as I discovered with my own little you know in the moment detective work having to do with Texas and Virginia these national organizations can see that on a much bigger scale and say oh wait a second we're seeing the same you know 10 books coming up over and over and over again across the country and then that confirms you know the the gut feeling that that I had. Reporting is critical. It's a, it provides a service to uh, the library and reader community, but it also provides a service and protection to you as the frontline person, because those organizations will come to your uh, assistance.
0: You mentioned the vital role that students played in defending the books in your library. Can you tell us more about the impact they had on the outcome of the situation?
1: Oh, I am proud to tell you. So, um, awestruck and forever grateful to my students in this situation. Um, The reason that they are so vital is it's because their rights are the ones that are being abridged in this situation. Um, And when kids stand up in front of a board of of education and come up to the microphone, even if they're scared and nervous, um, and sometimes the scared and nervous actually helps because it shows how committed they are. Um, it's impossible for a board of education to ignore them. I mean, what is a board of education there to do? Who are they there to serve? It's the students. So when the students show up at a board meeting, and believe me, they're boring those board meetings. You'd have, you have you'd be could be home, you know, watching Netflix, playing a video game. But no, you showed up at a board meeting. They pay attention. And the kids in my district came month after month and kept speaking. And they did so with um, poise and intelligence and conviction um, and showed that they cared. And it's fantastic. Uh, And it made a huge difference. And the thing that was really courageous about these kids is when they were at the microphone, the book banners who were very poorly behaved in general just the fact that they're banning a book is poor behavior but then they um the way they comported themselves at the board meetings was incorrect <laughs> um, and they were jeering at these students so it just shows you the caliber of people that we're we're dealing with and the great thing about the kids some of them have continued their activism beyond this event one of our students max moore is now a student ambassador for the National Coalition Against Censorship. And in fact, um, just this week was a panelist for the ALA on a youth forum that they held for Ban Books Week. And Max did a tremendous job uh, on that panel. And then another of the students who was very actively involved in the book ban, Jude Jeff, now serves as a student representative on our Board of Education. So this experience sort of helped uh, give them new experiences in uh, leadership and activism, which is terrific.
0: As a librarian, what advice would you give to other educators who might face similar challenges with book banning in their schools and communities? Yes,
1: yeah, sadly, that event is fairly likely these days. Um, and I end up giving this event advice quite often um, because librarians and teachers are um, from all over the country have gotten in touch with me over the last two years and the advice I typically give is number one stay aware remember how I said that the uh, genderqueer lawn boy had been objected to in the couple of weeks before it happened in my district normally there are publications that I read pretty religiously book riot is one uh, the American Library Association Office uh, for Intellectual Freedom has a blog that comes out every Friday where they summarize book banning news. This was September. I was busy. I wasn't paying attention. So number one, pay attention to what's going on uh, so that you're aware of the the titles and the authors that are coming under scrutiny. Um, and uh, tool, tools that can be helpful in that regard, you can set up a Google Alert you know, for book banning Uh, or because I'm a librarian and maybe you know how to do this too, Christopher. uh, If you use your uh, electronic databases, most of those will let you do a search alert. So you sort of have a research robot and the results come into my uh, inbox every Monday. I set mine up in ProQuest. So stay aware. I mentioned earlier policies, you have to know what your district's policies are regarding things like book selection, reconsideration policies when books are challenged, and even the way board meetings are supposed to be conducted. Because what happened at that board meeting regarding my name was inappropriate according to board policies. And then you have to insist that your administrators follow those policies and your board follow those policies. Uh, every time there's been a problem with a book in the 19 years that I've been a librarian, and really, despite the last two years, those problems have been fairly few. Every administrator I ever dealt with had no idea that there was a policy around book challenges. I've had to educate them every time. So knowing the policies is is essential. And if this happened to me again, one of the things I would ins- have insisted on the next day, I should have marched myself down to the principal's office and insisted on an investigation. To clear my name, if you're going to call Martha Hickson a pornographer, pedophile, and groomer of children, you better be prepared to prove it. And if you can't, I want that retracted immediately. Lesson learned. I didn't do that. I wish I had. Uh, And I think, as I've implied already, you can't do this alone. Your resources, your personal resources will wear out. There are people who have more expertise on this than you. There is strength in numbers. So get help and don't be ashamed to do it. And then you need to take care of yourself. It's just like that thing in the airplane where they say, you know, in the event of emergency, apply your oxygen mask before you help somebody else. Same deal here. Um, You're not going to be able to continue the fight if your physical and mental resources wear down. So figure out, you know, what are who are the people that give you life? What are the activities that give you life and pursue them? It's truly
0: heartwarming to learn about your receipt of the Intellectual Freedom Award. And you shared some of your emotions and thoughts when witnessing the next generation of intellectual freedom advocates stepping forward and making a stand?
1: I sure can, because it's been the proudest aspect of my library career. So um, in January of 2022, all five books were retained. The Board of Education said, no problem, we're keeping them. And then uh, six months later, in June of 2022, The Gender and Sexuality Alliances for the two high schools in my district received from the New Jersey Library Association its Intellectual Freedom Award for their role in protecting uh, those books and defending them from censorship. The kids were invited down uh, to Atlantic City to the NJLA's conference. And I think they were the last award of the night. And when that award was announced packed ballroom of librarians those kids took the stage to a standing ovation from this room full of librarians and cheers and i tell you every time i tell this story i get kind of choked up because sincerely it was one of the proudest nights of my life and the kids were so excited but to see them celebrated in that way and they were treated like rock stars at the conference and they truly deserved it because they took a huge huge risk And on top of that, they were using the skills that they had learned throughout their education. They were using reading, writing, public speaking, project management skills to fight this battle. And it was recognized for its excellence. And they were doing it for the public good. It's everything you want education to be. And I got to see it go from inception to completion to recognition And it's my heart swelled with pride. and I don't think it's come back down to size yet. I just love seeing that happen. And the best thing for me is, can you tell Christopher, I'm old. Let me get really close. There's wrinkles. I'm old. I I can see her uh, retirement. I mean, you don't don't look that old. You don't look that old. old. (laughs) Harriet the Spy was my favorite book. Look it up. Um, uh, Retirement is on the horizon. And long after I'm gone, either from this job or this planet, I know that there's a generation of students through this experience who will be able to keep fighting for the right to read, and that's just that's just one, a wonderful thing.
0: I just wanted to say that your resilience and unwavering commitment to the right to read, even in the face of adversity, is truly inspiring. Before we end this interview, is there anything you'd like to share?
1: Yes, there is. <laughs> um, today as we record this it's october 9th is that right no 8th october 8th yeah eighth. 8. It's, it's early October of 2023 and we just uh, are coming to the end of banned books week yesterday was let freedom read day where people were encouraged to take action uh to protect the right to read uh, and that's wonderful that we had a day and we had a week but as we've seen over the last two years Book challenges can happen at any time, and it seems that these days they're happening all the time. Um, We don't need a special day. We don't need a special week to protect the right to read, and there are things that everyone can do uh, in their daily life to help with that. You can request uh, from your bookstore or library that they carry Uh, some of these banned titles. At your school or public library, especially those that are dealing with marginalized populations, your attendance at those things matters. Uh, You can write to your library to thank them for those books and programs. I'll tell you, as I was going through this over the last two years, I got lots of cards and letters um, from former students who thanked me for the inclusivity of our library. I got lots of cards and letters from total strangers, too, and each one of those is meaningful. Uh, So thank a librarian. And one thing that everybody can do, it takes no time at all, is join UniteAgainstBookBands.org. I'm going to say that again uniteagainstbookbans.org it's a coalition that includes the american library association and some of the wonderful organizations i mentioned earlier like national coalition coalition against censorship and pen america and there are a ton of resources there for everybody about what you can do and this is so important because it's more than just books that are at stake although that's important enough but it's representation that's at stake and it's the lives of the people represented in these books that are at stake, and so too is our democracy, um, really important.
0: Martha, you've provided a safe space for teams like me to learn, grow, and understand their own identities. Your strength serves as a beacon of hope and courage for librarians, educators, and advocates everywhere. Thank you for being a guiding light for all of us. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye -bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ladies and gentlemen, bookworms and defenders of intellectual freedom, welcome back to another episode of Unbanned Coolies. Today, we have an extraordinary guest who stands at the forefront of the battle for diverse and inclusive literature. Joining us is a true trailblazer, an advocate for unrestricted access to knowledge, and a staunch champion of the right to read. She is working to ensure that diverse voices and narratives find their rightful place on library shelves. With her wealth of expertise, she guides librarians, educators, and readers across the nation through labyrinth of banned books, censorship challenges, and the kaleidoscope of intellectual freedom issues. As a force to be reckoned with, our guest has been instrumental in the American Library Association, unwavering commitment to defending the rights of authors, readers, and everyone in between. She is the protector of the imagination, the defender of thought, and the advocate for the old two stories have faced unwarranted bouncing. She is the director of the Office for Intellectual Freedom at the ALA. She also serves as the executive director for the Freedom to Read Foundation. Let's give a roaring virtual applause and a warm welcome to the one and only Deborah Caldwell Stone.
2: Thank you, Christopher. I'm so glad to be here with you today.
0: Thank you. Let's dive right into the question. Can you provide a brief overview of the American Libraries Association's stance on banned and challenged books?
2: Absolutely. You know, it's long been um, the core value of the profession to defend each person's freedom to read and to make widely available all sorts of ideas, no matter how controversial, uh, how, no matter that some might object to them. It should be up to each reader to make their own choices about what they read. And you know, really, we are very dedicated to defending that fundamental freedom of choice about what one reads. It's founded on the First Amendment, of course, which includes a right to access information and librarians are fiercely devoted to upholding that First Amendment right to read, as well as the ability to be able to provide a community uh, and readers all the books that they would like to read.
0: I just finished reading The Perks of Being a Wallflower, which is a coming-of-age novel written by Stephen Kowalski. I found myself in the main character of Charlie, an introverted teenager who was navigating high school life Unfortunately, the book is challenged for explicit content and discussions on mental health. Is there a challenge or banned book that you enjoyed?
2: I have to tell you that one of my most favorite banned books is The Absolutely True Diary of a Part-Time Indian by Sherman Alexie. Um, It was, at the time I read it, a revelation to me. I had visited uh, that part of the country where... Uh, Mr. Alexei had grown up on the res, and I had no idea about the life lived by uh, indigenous persons uh, confined to reservation and the lack of opportunity for education and his fight to get, or his protagonist's fight to get that education and the life he led. Um, I can't say enough about the book. I think it richly deserved its American, uh, its National Book Award for Youth Literature. Um, and I recommend it to anyone who really wants to understand uh, how uh, other people live the challenges they face.
0: And books often generate controversy due to the differing opinions on the content. What uh, principles guide the ALA's defense of intellectual freedom in these cases.
2: Well, our uh, defense of intellectual freedom relies heavily on the idea that each person is able to make their own choices about what they read, that, you know, the freedom of thought includes exploring controversy uh, and understanding controversy. For example, you'll know, find Mein Kampf, the book by Adolf Hitler that led to, uh, his despotic regime, the extermination of six million lives of Jews, Uh, on the shelf of every library, because we need to understand those ideas, those arguments in order to effectively counter them and to build a better world. And so we defend the right to access controversial ideas because it's up to the reader to be able to find out those ideas, um, to be able to decide for themselves uh, about those ideas and to be able to equip themselves to fight bad ideas. We can't fight bad ideas if we don't know what they are. Um, But fundamentally, no government should be involved in the decision about what's appropriate to read, certainly not on the basis of controversy. And so for those many reasons, librarians defend the right to have controversial ideas in the library's collection um, and the ability of each reader to make their own choices about reading them. And to make sure that that access to information isn't limited unfairly by advocacy groups or elected officials who are partisan or practicing censorship to advance particular viewpoints.
0: How does ALA support libraries, librarians, and educators in handling challenges the books within their collections?
2: ALA provides a wealth of resources to libraries and librarians fighting censorship. Um, First and foremost, we provide uh, a set of best practices and policies for libraries to consider and adopt into their local policies in defense of intellectual freedom. This includes collection development policies, reconsideration policies that address how books are added to the collection and provide a means for individuals to raise a concern about a book and have that concern addressed fairly in light of the collection development policy. In addition to these best practices and policies that are put together by library professionals over decades of experience, Uh, We provide professional development education, and we also provide individual support to librarians and educators who are dealing with censorship in their institutions, whether it's a public library or a public school or a school library. Um, This can include helping them with their policies. Uh, counseling them on the law that applies to book challenges in schools and libraries, particularly publicly funded schools and libraries, um, as well as working uh, on strategies to promote intellectual freedom for the community as a whole and making sure that those uh, values are articulated and applied in the situation.
0: How does the ALA address concerns about age appropriate content in libraries? while still upholding the principle of intellectual freedom?
2: Well, we have to unpack that a bit because the phrase age-appropriate is often used as a means to censor materials that are absolutely appropriate for an age group to read but address a controversial topic. Uh, Just because a group of persons, an advocacy group, an individual believes a particular topic is not appropriate, for the children in their lives does not make it inappropriate for other families, for other young people to read. And that's what we're facing today. Often that label age uh, inappropriate is applied to books dealing with gender identity, sexual orientation, uh, and race and race relations that are written for young people, that are written at a level for a five-year-old to understand board books, for example, or books written for middle schoolers or high schoolers. But, and they are developmentally relevant. They are written at the, at reading, at the reading level intended for the uh, young people that the uh, author created the book for. Um, they address the topic in a way that is understandable and appropriate in that sense. Um, but they simply are controversial. And we fight fiercely against the idea that um, any one topic should be off the table for any reader of any age, that it is possible for an author and a publisher to treat a topic sensitively and appropriately for an age group, even if some might find it controversial. That said, you know, we certainly believe that um, libraries are about making sure books are appropriate for the reader and that the reader is well matched to the book and librarians are professionals who spend time in graduate school making that match you know and so that the books that are given to a reader that a a reader is recommended that do match their age their reading uh, uh, ability their educational development often find that books intended for younger readers uh for middle school and high school often are a great match for adults who are just becoming literate. and there are adults who don't possess basic literacy skills or just learning to read and so we have to be very thoughtful and unpack that phrase age appropriate you know and certainly we don't want illegal materials in libraries and libraries don't collect materials that are illegal but that said, we don't want to artificially limit access to materials because a group disapproves of a topic or an idea.
0: Then Book speak is a significant event in the literary community. Could you talk about its purpose and how the ALA and libraries across the nation participate in the event?
2: And Books Week uh, came into being around 1982. It was a time when we saw a rising effort to censor books, particularly in school libraries. Um, And in fact, a court case was making its way through the Supreme Court at the time. You may be familiar with it. Board of Education v. PICO. um, And ultimately, the Supreme Court held that school boards could not remove books simply because they didn't like the ideas in the book. But that said, we noted that across the country uh, that there are many instances where school boards and library boards were censoring books. And we wanted to raise awareness about this. And when I talk about we, I'm talking about librarians, publishers, authors, uh, booksellers. We're all deeply concerned, all of us who participate in what we call um, uh, the book ecosystem. Uh, about this effort to suppress ideas. And so Bam Books Week came into being to highlight democracy that celebrates and elevates human freedoms, particularly the freedom to read, the First Amendment, the freedom of expression, that censorship was still taking place, official censorship conducted by government bodies that were forbidden from engaging in that kind of censorship by the First Amendment. And so over the years, we've used it to raise awareness about that kind of censorship, to promote the freedom to read, to promote First Amendment freedoms, and it continues today. Um, There are 11 uh, official members of the Van Books Week Coalition. That includes libraries, booksellers, publishers, authors, uh, civil liberties organizations, uh, groups that promote and protect the welfare of marginalized communities like PFLAG and uh, Lambda, you know, the Defense Fund. There are many, many organizations that uh, participate in support and support Dan World's Week in celebration of our Freedom read. And to raise that awareness that censorship is not a tool for education, it's not a tool for democracy, but a tool for despots. And that we need to fight against it to protect both our democracy and our individual liberty.
0: What advice would you give to authors, librarians and educators and readers who want to get involved in promoting intellectual freedom and combating folk censorship?
2: Well, first, to be aware of what's going on in your community. School politics and library politics are all local. You know, we have local school boards, local library boards that have managed them and are responsible for the libraries that they uh, operate. And so attending school board meetings, attending library board meetings is absolutely important and being aware of what's going on there but also making connections with individuals who believe in the freedom to read at the local level and at the national level. Join groups like United Against Book Bands, uh, the National Coalition Against Censorship, which, by the way, has a great uh, students' right to read program. Uh, as part of it, PEN America, many organizations, join the national organizations, and then form local chapters. You can form local chapters of the United Against Book Bans, ACLU, uh, to fight book banning, to be able to speak out and advocate at a moment's notice when individuals or groups crop up in your community who want to remove books from the library. But i think most importantly is to be prepared and not even prepared but always support your local library if there's a friends group if there's a team advocacy team for your local library join it participate in it let your librarians know how much you appreciate what you get from the library whether it's books internet access uh, video games uh, movies uh streaming services access to periodicals and newspapers just remember to thank your librarian for making it all possible and being prepared to support them when attacks come and they are coming and are still ongoing um, and you know just uh being aware and prepared to act
0: is so important with the rise of digital media and online content are the challenges and strategies related to Evolved, how is the ALA adapting to these changes?
2: Well, like so many other associations and organizations, we found a presence on social media. We try to make as much available through digital media uh, in the way of our educational programs, our policies, our documents. Um, But I think what we all have to be newly aware of is the speed of communication these days. We have very little time for reflection and thought, and we respond instantly. And I think that's what all organizations are grappling with is we need to respond quickly and thoughtfully to situations that crop up. With regard to books, we've had to adjust to the fact that books are digital as well as in print um, and uh, adjust our practices. Uh, accordingly. And so libraries are adopting platforms for distributing ebooks in accordance with the law and respect for the rights of the authors and the publishers, but also protecting the rights of the readers to access those books on, uh, as they do with physical books as well. Um, you, know, it's, you know, you've asked a question that is very, um, it's both interesting, broad, and deep, and can be answered in so many ways. Um, but um, I think that libraries have made a real push to adjust to the new environment one of the things that ALA does for example is we promote broadband access particularly for rural communities uh, that are not well reached by internet access um, and supporting government initiatives that make sure that each community is connected to the internet or has more than adequate access to the internet and with that comes access to news uh, websites, ebooks, and enables the local library to provide those act- uh, provide that access to members or community that may not own their own computers or even have smartphones. There is so much there to talk about when you talk about the move to digital and how libraries are coping. Our members in AOA, the professional members of AOA, are devoted to exploring all the ways of making sure uh, that digital resources are available to their community and making the best use of them and so that everyone has equal access to digital resources and digital information um, in this very uh, sorry to repeat it digital age
0: <laughs> so thank you How can individuals or communities report instances of book challenges or censorship to the ALA's office for intellectual freedom and what kind of support can they expect to receive
2: well I have a staff in my office that is dedicated to receiving and responding to reports of censorship. It's easy to report censorship. All you need to do is to go to ala.org forward slash fight censorship and you'll find all kinds of resources, not only the link to the reporting form for censorship, but resources on defending the freedom to read in your library and community. Um, if you file a report of censorship, a response will come and a member of the ALA staff will uh, address your questions and concerns about what's going on in the community, suggest resources, um, point you to online resources in particular that may be helpful, provide book reviews that support the inclusion of the book in the community's library. Um, and that's actually as simple as can be. Just go to ala.org. Fight censorship, all one word, and you'll find the resources to report censorship. But I'd also recommend visiting the website UniteAgainstBookBans.org. That's the initiative that's intended for the public to use to fight censorship in their You'll find toolkits, white papers, talking points, questions to ask your elected officials and candidates for office. Now, we can't take a position on elections because ALA is a 501 non nonprofit. We're an association dedicated to improving library services, and we're nonpartisan. Uh, but we can show what is important about library services and provide questionnaires for elected officials to answer about how they support libraries and how they support the freedom to read so that we can make up your own mind about your elected officials and those running for office. And so those are the two resources I would recommend, UniteAgainstBookBands.org and ALA.org forward slash Fight Censorship.
0: Can you share some success stories where the ALA's efforts and the efforts of local librarians have made a positive impact in preserving access to challenge or ban books?
2: Well, I would say that ALA supports librarians fighting for the freedom to read, and so really, The story, success stories are success stories of individual library professionals, school librarians, public librarians, fighting the good fight and making sure that the readers in their community have access to the books they want and need. I think of Martha Hickson, the school librarian in North Hunterton, New Jersey, who fought an 18 month battle to keep a whole range of banned books in her school library um, despite tremendous odds. And books like The Perks of Being a Wallflower, uh, they absolutely true died of their pipe time Indian. With the support of students in the high school and some of the parents in the community, they were successful in preserving the freedom to read in that community. Um, other brave librarians in Texas, South Carolina, least um, too numerous to mention, have done the same thing. They've stood up. They've for the freedom to read in their communities and made sure that books stayed on the shelf. Um, I can point to some successes in St. Tammany Parish, Louisiana, for example, where despite the efforts of an advocacy group that even had the support of the state attorney general, um, local citizens supported the library board in voting to retain books on the shelf uh, through a local group. Called Louisiana Citizens Against Censorship, that was supported by Night Against Book Bands and uh, individual librarians in the community. And I would look also to library advocates like Becky Calzada and the Freedom Project in Texas, who, despite uh, many challenges and even threats to their employment, they still speak out in defense of the freedom to read, despite uh, really tough climate that supports censorship in their
0: communities. What do you see as the biggest challenges and opportunities in the field of intellectual freedom and combating book censorship in the coming years?
2: I think the biggest challenge we're facing right now is an effort by a number of advocacy groups to claim that books that address controversial topics for them, books dealing with race and racism, Uh, the experience of marginalized groups that reflect the lives and experiences of LGBTQ persons are somehow inappropriate for anyone to read. Um, And fighting against this framing to promote the idea that everyone's stories should be able to be read and found in libraries, uh, in bookstores, um, on the internet. Um, And to reject that and to support the ability of everyone to find their voice and to express their lives, experiences, ideas in whatever medium and to be accessible through all channels, including the library. The other challenge we're facing is the fact that we see elected officials sworn to uphold the Constitution and the Bill of Rights supporting this idea. That there should be legal restrictions on access to information, whether it's books intended for young people, reproductive health information, information about our history with race uh, and racism in the United States, trying to hide some of the more unsavory aspects of our history. Um, and I think that that's going to be a long fight. I think politicians see it as a wedge issue to use during elections. And as a result, we must be constantly vigilant and prepared to respond to that in effective ways through the ballot box, through our advocacy, through supporting our local institutions, our school boards, our library boards, who are defending the freedom to read, and the educators and librarians who are fighting for that as well.
0: Are there any current project initiatives, or campaigns related to banned books that the ALA is working on? or that you're particularly excited about? Well,
2: we're always excited about United Against Book Bands because it's an initiative that we created for individuals in the public to use, um, for students to use, for adults to use, to defend the freedom to read. You know, we are a professional membership organization, ALA, We our members are primarily librarians. Um, And much of the work we've done in the past was focused on uh, providing librarians with the tools they need to defend intellectual freedom. And now we finally have an initiative to help members of the public defend intellectual freedom and the freedom to read in their communities. But I'd also point to the Freedom to Read Foundation, which has a very special purpose. Uh, It is created to litigate and defend First Amendment freedoms in the courts so that they're preserved for the future. And we're deeply engaged in that work right now. Uh, I wear that second hat as executive director of the Freedom to Read Foundation. And right now we're supporting litigation to defend the freedom to read in Lionel County, Texas, in the state of Arkansas as well, in Missouri, for example making sure that um, it's clear to everyone that under the rule of law, the freedom to read is protected by our First Amendment rights and our Constitution. It's not the role of the government to tell us what to read, but instead defend our freedom to read.
0: Before we end this interview, I'd like to applaud you for your tireless efforts in championing the essence of storytelling, the pulse of free expression, and the vital importance of diverse voices. Your insights are destined to ignite the fires of curiosity, and it definitely ignited the flames of advocacy within me. So thank you, Deborah.
2: Thank you, Christopher, and thank you for inviting me to spend time with you today. It, it's been a privilege, and you know, um, I, I'm so proud to have you joining us in this fight, and, and uh, I can only encourage you to keep on keeping on and invite others to join. Thank you.
0: I appreciate your thoughtful sentiment. Thank you. See you.
2: Thanks, Chris. Bye-bye, Chris.